Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group's pastor, John Shaw. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Man, you guys enjoying this weather? I love spring. Other than the pollen, we didn't have pollen like this in Colorado. This is crazy. I don't know how you guys survived this. But you know what spring means? Spring means Easter. And as a pastor, I love Easter because you and I, as a church, we get to welcome hundreds of people through our doors that normally will not enter a church. Um, and so for me, for the chance to introduce somebody to a relationship with Jesus, like I, I love that opportunity and I love the chance that we have to do that. And so I want to encourage you, if you call Northridge, home. Like, I want to encourage you to, like, step up and help us welcome the people in these doors, because we have a chance to show Christian hospitality and, and to introduce somebody like, hey, those Christians aren't so bad. Maybe, maybe I'll come again next week. Maybe I'll learn a little bit more about what this, this Jesus thing is. So if you, you call Northridge home, I want you, you see the sheets on the paper on your chairs around you, I want you to sign up and say, hey, for one week, I'm going to step up. I'm going to welcome people into this place, and we're going to make sure that we have the best Easter ever. So hopefully, people will join us and continue that journey. Now, what would you do if I offered you $135 million? Like, if I said, for five years, I want you to work really hard for five years. Will you give me 100, and I'll give you 135? Like, who would say no? No. Well, Freddie Freeman did. He told us no. (laughs) And broke our hearts. Like, could you imagine saying no? Like, that, that's crazy. I did a little bit of research. $135 million over five years is about $27 million a year. Now, there's a website called The Rich List, and you can compare your salary and your wealth to everybody in the world. Freddie Freeman at $27 million a year would be number 1,606th highest wage earner in the world. Wow. This is a little bit deceiving. Like, Elon Musk wouldn't even be on this list because he doesn't get paid a wage. He gets paid in stock. So if his company does well, he does well. If his company does poorly, he does poorly. If you were to go by wealth, yes, Elon would be number one. Freddie would drop to number 22,000-something. Poor guy, you know, not that great. But I did a little more research because you and I, we don't all make $27 million a year. The average person in America makes about $51,000 a year. That puts them at... 0.3% top wage earners in the world. Like, wow. I know not everybody in this room even makes the average in in America. The average in America, if you were to make minimum wage, you uh, would make a little less than $15,000 a year. This would still place you in the top 8% of wage earners in the world. Like, if that isn't eye-opening, I don't know what is. And yet, Americans, us, you and I, are some of the least content people in the world, aren't we? We always want more, more, more. Like, there was an article written uh, in Time Magazine a couple years ago, said that we live in the age of FOMO. FOMO, F-O-M-O, you know what that stands for? Fear of missing out. And studies said that 70% of millennials, like, really struggle with this. 70% of millennials. This isn't something new, though. Like, this is something humanity has always struggled with. Uh, Solomon wrote about it. 
in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, I have seen that every labor and every success of the work is the result of jealousy between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and a striving after the wind. And can I, can I tell you something that, that I learned at a young age, and I'm sure you already know this. I'm just going to put some words around something that we all know. But there is always going to be somebody with more er, right? There's always going to be somebody who's richer. There's always going to be somebody that is prettier. There's always going to be somebody that is cuter or has a bigger house or a nicer yard. There's always going to be somebody that is going on better trips, right? And then, because of this, what do we do? At least I did this. Don't let me put this on you. But when I was younger, I would surround myself with people with less-er, right? Because we all want to feel superior and better than those around us. And so we live in this tension that I don't think it ever goes away. And then there's some of us that don't even want to be an er, they want to be an est, right? I want to be the richest. I want to be the prettiest. I want to be the fastest. I want to have the biggest house, the biggest boat. I want to be the most liked and tweeted, retweeted and shared est on whatever social media platform I'm on. And the thing is, we, we realize that we, we don't like these people with more er, don't we? And so we start to make reasons why they're not okay. Those people, but really they're okay. We're the ones who aren't. Because we find ourselves not being able to get along with people that remind you of who will never be, of who we can't be, and they're always going to have more. They've got your job, they're living your life, and you're just miserable. This is such a big deal in the church of Corinth that Paul addressed it head on in 2 Corinthians 10.12. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And what he's saying is when we compare ourselves to one another, we make ourselves look a fool. This is the same problem that we see with social media. Like social media is a good tool, right? We get to share cute pictures of our family and we get to keep in contact with our friends that we move far away from. But study after study after study shows that the more that you are on social media, the higher depression rates go up. The more that you are envious of your friends, uh, suicide goes up. Like, like you can't help but recognize the correlation between social media and mental health. And why, why is that? Because we see the best that people share about themselves, right? And we miss everything in between. So man, look at that person, the vacation that they got to go on. Oh, look, look at that person's car. Look at, look at this. We live in a world of FOMO. And each of us is led to envy because of this. And what, what is envy? I love this definition of envy. This is from Craig Rochelle. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. 
Like, that's, that's so good. I'm going to read it again. Like, envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Solomon, the, the one who had it all, did it all, it was worth probably in today's dollars a, a trillion something dollars. Like, crazy, wealthy Solomon. He says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones Man, that's extreme, right? So here's our big takeaway for the day, okay? Just knock it off, right? Just stop doing that. Like, man, I wish I could come out here and tell you, man, if you do this, this, and this, you're never gonna struggle with this again. But I can't tell you that. This is something that we are going to live with the rest of our lives. There's always going to be this struggle, this tension in our lives, but it doesn't have to control you. It doesn't have to drive you. So we're going to talk a little bit about this. I'm going to give you some practical ways uh, for you to manage this tension. And this is a tension that has to be managed, especially if you are a Christ follower. Why? Because your relationship with God intersects with your relationship with your money. The Heavenly Father who has created you for his purpose. Like, that's so powerful. What if you miss your purpose, God's purpose for you in this life, because you are chasing after something that's a myth, It's not even a thing. It's just pictures on a page, on a screen. What if you miss God's purpose in this world? Because he never intended for you to be somebody else. He created you to be you. You're not going to ever get to heaven and hear God say, hey, why weren't you more like your mom? Why weren't you more like your dad? Why weren't you like your brother or your sister? No, if you aren't you, who is going to be you? And yet we chase after the wind of what everybody else is doing. The first thing that we need to understand to manage this tension is that contentment is a state of heart, not a state of account. See, it doesn't matter how big your bank account gets. It doesn't matter how many zeros you have. None of that will matter in the end. Contentment comes from the size of how big your heart is. Solomon said this, For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. I love this. I love this verse. For the despondent heart, like you know these people. Some of you are these people, right? Oh, it's going to be a terrible day. Oh, gas prices went up again. Oh, the economy's terrible again. Oh, my my, my kids are being brats again. Oh... I failed another test. Oh, I've got another paper that I forgot about. And for the despondent, every day brings trouble. But for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Like the happy heart, they can have the same exact day as the despondent heart, and yet they'll see the joy and the beauty and the goodness that God has brought into it. Because here's the thing, it's easy. It's easy to see the bad in this world. Just open your eyes. But it's also easy to see God at work in this world. Just open your eyes, right? Paul makes this clear in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that he has at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any 
and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Man, I love these verses. Paul's writing this from prison, um, and and our, our stories tell us that that he's about to be executed. His day of execution is coming very quickly, and yet he tells us that he is content. And more than that, he tells us that he has learned contentment, that contentment is learned. Because contentment comes not because we've conquered our circumstances. Paul did not conquer his circumstances. No, contentment comes when we've learned to live with them. It is such a good story, and this is something that I've learned in my life. When I was writing this sermon, uh, I, I usually uh, don't see myself in it, and, and usually I'm preaching to myself. This is one that God actually taught me a long time ago, and I feel like I can actually speak to you out of my overflow. Um, and I know what some of you are saying, like, John, I've seen your house. Uh, of course you're content. Let me show you my first house. See, I grew up, I, I lived in Denver. My first ministry was in the second wealthiest uh, county in, the, in America, the eighth wealthiest county, uh, eighth wealthiest county in America, second wealthiest outside of D.C. and California. When I took this job, I took a, a pay cut. I made a little over minimum wage. I couldn't live in that county. No, I lived in the hood in Denver. This, this was my house. This is a 100-year-old grocery store that had been updated, built, added onto. The walls were this, this thick because they had added on so many times. My next-door neighbor were drug dealers. Across the street, you can't see it, it was a bar. Uh, this uh, field right here, I just had to show you snow because I know how much you guys love snow, um, <laughs> was a creepy field where, uh, where homeless people lived and slept. Like, it wasn't great. And every day I would drive from this 20 minutes south to the wealthiest county in Colorado. Now, from a worldly perspective, I could have said, poor me. Why don't I have what they have? Man, those rich people, they just don't get it. You know, that's something that never crossed my mind. It never once crossed my mind. I never had envy for what they had, and I never felt shame for what I had. Here's the thing that I learned. Through all of that, I I, I earned, and I learned some different errs. I learned that I had better friendships. My faith was stronger. My life was happier. Like, honestly, I can tell you that. See, when you don't rely on what the world has, it frees you to live for real. See, life, I don't need what others have around me to be happy. That's the lie of this life. Happiness comes from God and being invested in Him. And now I can't prove this. This isn't in the Bible, but I live my life as if it is. But maybe the reason that you aren't being blessed the way that you feel like you should be blessed, or God isn't present in your life, is maybe because you're not celebrating the goodness that God is doing in the lives around you. I want to be so careful that I celebrate the good that God is doing those around me. I want to be so careful that when the church down the road is doing amazing ministry, that I celebrate them. I want to be so careful that when somebody preaches a better sermon than me, that I am 
proud of them and happy for them. I want to be so careful that when somebody has a better ministry and does better things than me, that I celebrate them because the kingdom is expanding and it's growing, and that is an amazing thing. So maybe, if you don't feel like you're being blessed the way that you should be, maybe it's a heart thing. Did you notice how Paul got there? You see where he said he got the strength to do that? He says, and I can do all this, all that we've been talking about, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Like if you haven't underlined this verse, like this is such a huge verse, underline, highlight in your Bible, whatever, it's so awesome. But what, what is, this is important, it's telling us contentment can come because of who we know, not what we have. I promise you, contentment will never come by anything that you have. It will only come when you are secure in your relationship with Jesus and what he is doing in your life. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, make sure that your way of life is free from the love of money. You notice he doesn't say money is evil, just the love of money is evil. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you and nor will I ever forsake you. When you have Christ in your life and you have that close relationship with him and you're diving in and you're spending time with him and you're praying and you just have that relationship, like you will be content. That's why David wrote this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, it's only the person that can say the Lord is my shepherd that can then go on and say, I shall not want. And if you're, you're sitting in this room and you're telling me, John, like, I need the latest. I need the latest iPhone. I need the latest kicks. I need the latest car. I need a bigger and better house. I've got to ask you, is the Lord your shepherd? That's between you and him. Now, I know I've given you all the head knowledge about this, what contentment is, but can I just give you one practical uh, reason or one practical thing that you can do uh, in this life to be content? Because it takes learning. But we get this from Solomon, the very first verse that we started with at the beginning. And I saw that all toil and achievement springs from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Like, did you catch that the first time we read it? A chasing after the wind. It's endless. It's pointless. There's no finish line. There's no joy. And there's no peace. It steals the joy from everything that you've already accomplished. You have no joy because someone has already, always done more, will always accomplish more. So here's what I want you to do. Next time you see yourself drifting, oh man, I need that. Ooh, Oh, I need that. Next time you find yourself drifting into somebody else's lane, I just want you to tell yourself, I don't need that. That is chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. I don't need that. That's chasing after the wind. Ooh. That's chasing after the wind, and I don't chase after the wind. Because here's the thing, I may not know you personally, okay, but I know this about you. You are far too valuable. Your life is far too valuable. Your position in God's economy is far too valuable for you to be chasing after the wind. 
So the next time your inadequacies and your, your insecurities well up and you feel like, oh, I need this, I need this, I need you to stop yourself, just slow down for a second and tell yourself, I don't chase the wind. That's just chasing the wind. I don't chase the wind. Now Solomon isn't, isn't finished yet. Solomon isn't just live and let live. Uh, he, he tells us, the fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. The fool says, I can't ever keep up with the err. I can never be the best. So I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. It's like, no, don't do that. There's a, there's a tension here. And he says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Like, like we see that, we like two handfuls. Yeah, like in our, in our world, if I can have two handfuls, I want two handfuls. Like if I had four hands, I want four handfuls. But Solomon's saying, no, be happy with one handful with peace and tranquility instead of chasing after the wind and toil. So you know what tranquility is? Tranquility means you drive home and it's just, everything's okay. Do you know what tranquility is? Tranquility is you go to your brother's house. You know your brother who lives in that fancy neighborhood? He's got that fancy gate and you drive up. Ooh, look at your fancy gate. Can you please let me in? And tranquility is going home and saying, man, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. That's what tranquility is. And that leads you to a place where you have a life that's worth living. Because if you're always striving after what somebody else has, you'll never, never, never going to get there. So let me give you my sermon a sentence. This sums up everything that we've talked about so far. Contentment begins where envy ends. Contentment can only come when you kill envy in your life. When you can be satisfied with what God has done in you and through you. Only then can you experience that life of what Jesus is doing. And here's the thing, can I be honest with you? It's, it's, it's hard for pastors to talk about money, to talk about contentment and, and margin and, and, and giving and generosity. Like, it's, not hard. it's hard because what is the thing that we love the most besides our time? Our money. I worked for it. I spent my time for that money, and it is mine. It is the idol that we hold on to so tightly. And, and when we speak about it, man, oh, those pastors, all they do is talk about money. Mm, they just want our money. But here's the thing. We don't want your money. The church will be fine without your money. God's kingdom will continue with or without you. This is a heart issue, and that is why we speak about it so often and frequently, because we know that it directly relates to our relationship with God, and this is something that we want for you. Because when you can learn to live open-handedly, when you can learn to live with, with margin, to just love people, Whenever it comes upon you, man, that is a life that I want for you because it changes everything. It will give you a life of satisfaction, of tranquility. It will deepen your relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that, that's what I'm promising you. I'm not promising you prosperity. I'm not promising you wealth. But I am promising you that He will meet you where you are that he will come into your life and bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. And that's why we're doing the 90-day giving challenge. 
It's the one time God says that we can test him. Uh, Micah uh, 3.10, he says, test me in this. Never are we ever supposed to test him in anything else. He says, test me in this and see if I will not bless you. So if you are not doing this, like if you are not able to live open-handedly, like I want to challenge you, 90 days, just trust God. Trust that God can meet you where you are, that he can meet your needs, because he promises to meet your needs. I can promise you that. He may not give you everything you want, but he will give you all that you need. And he will give you more in ways that you can't even express. This is something that we want for you for a million different reasons. We want this for you. God, we come before you and we beg of you. Teach us how to kill envy in our lives. God, show us how to be content with what you have done in our lives. God, we pray that you show us how to stop chasing the wind. God, that you are enough for all of us. So God, whatever it is in our lives, whatever it is we're striving after, chasing after, whatever it is that that we need more of, God, we pray that you open our eyes to it, you free us from that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.